Beer Pod, the podcast where you are the peers and we are your pod. We're coming to you today from our ThinkSpace studio above SciTech Library at the University of Sydney. Before we bring in this week's guests, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're recording on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Let's get into it. Contract cheating. Heavy words with big penalties. Today, I'm joined by Lucy and Colette from Academic Integrity. We're going to unpack those words, the associated penalties, and how the role of academic integrity is changing as off-campus learning becomes the new norm. So, first off, Lucy, what is academic integrity? Hi, Tom. Thanks for having us. Look, I would say that fundamentally, academic integrity is about honesty. It's about um, doing the right thing, even when that's difficult. It's about giving credit and acknowledging um, where you've sourced your ideas. Um, You know, for a more sort of technical definition, the um, International Centre for Academic Integrity, they provide five core values that they believe defines academic integrity. And um, that's respect, responsibility, uh, trust, fairness and honesty. And they put particular emphasis on um, having the courage to stick to those values even in the face of adversity. So, yeah, I think just it's about being true to yourself because first and foremost, if you're true to yourself, then you can be true to others. And that's about being honest about how you undertook your work. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. So for students, it is about... So it's, it's about honesty and being true to yourself and the work you present so that you have the skills for when you're in workplace or later in life to be able to back up the work that you're presenting and the decisions that are being made off the back of that. Absolutely. I mean, it's critical that as a university, the people that we're um, providing qualifications to are appropriately qualified to go out and work in the fields, Mm. such as medicine or law or engineering, you know, there's a real public safety risk if uh, students have cheated their way through university. Mm. And that also is a risk to other students because it discredits the value of their qualification. Mm. So, you know, for the institution, a culture of academic integrity is paramount and everybody has a responsibility to um, promote and preserve that. And it also alleviates some of the pressure on you as an author of the work that you're putting forward because you don't have to prove everything. You prove the piece, You prove what your piece is setting out to prove and you use the evidence that others have proven in the past. Exactly. I mean, I think it's about, like, recognising that you don't... You know, your, your thoughts and perspectives and arguments, they're not formed in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, you're building on existing knowledge... And it doesn't mean you can't have your own beliefs or perspectives about or something, interpretation. interpretations, but you need to be true to where you where you source that, what's come before you. Um, it's about giving that respect to the authors before you. Mm. And that in a university setting is critical because universities are all about, you know, creation of knowledge and academic excellence and truth. Yeah. And, and, and part of that creation of knowledge is the ability of other people to be critical of it. Not critical in a negative way, but take what you've said and analyse it themselves to potentially come up 
to the same conclusion or have reasons for a different conclusion. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've established what it is, Colette, who is on the team? Okay, so there are a network of about 70 members of staff uh, who work on academic integrity across the university. Lucy and I work in the Office of Educational Integrity. So our office, our office oversees the academic integrity process and the mm. systems that are involved with that. And we provide support to each one of the faculty teams. So each individual faculty has a dedicated team who work on integrity matters. Those teams are made up of EICs or Educational Integrity Coordinators and nominated academics. So they are academic members of staff who have the responsibility for decision-making on any case of academic integrity that is referred to that unit. Mm -hmm. And then we also have uh, professional staff, administrative staff, who support the entire process. And they are the people who you can speak to on the telephone uh, or send an email to that will be responded if you have a query about your specific academic integrity matter. Mm. And they, they aren't scary people. They're not scary people. Cool. They're all uh, very familiar with what they're doing um, yeah. and rest assured they will have been asked the question that you want to ask. They'll know the answer. Me and Lucy always like to say, I mean, we direct a lot of calls and emails from our office. If we don't know the answer, somebody is going to. So yeah. it's all about being putting up your hand, asking questions and don't be scared. Yeah, and that's the process. That's welcomed. Everyone wants to help resolve whatever situation you may have found yourself in. Absolutely. <laughs> yep, yeah, cool. That's really good. It's nice to know because things can get scary um, when it comes to integrity. It certainly can be intimidating, but yeah. yeah, everybody's there to help. Yeah, okay, cool. So, okay, so Lucy, when might a student find themselves involved in academic integrity and potentially having to reach out to one of the team members? Okay, so... Um you know, as we, as we said, the, you know, academic integrity is is very important at the university. We take it very seriously. So we have um, systems and processes in place um, for, you know, detecting or picking up any issues um, of plagiarism or referencing. So, for example, if a student submits an essay um, and their tutor or um, coordinator or the marker of that assignment... Um, identify some issues with that piece of work there's a reporting process where they can put that assignment um, assignment through to the faculty integrity team to investigate um, that suspected plagiarism so a student in that situation would then be contacted by their integrity team um, and they would you know clearly outline what the allegation might be um, and then the steps they need to take to address that. Um, so, you know, under the coursework policy, procedural fairness for students is really important. So students always have an opportunity to respond to any allegations um, and there's support services available, the SRC and Supra, um, to help students in, that, in those circumstances. Um, and I know it all sounds really scary, but, you know, in... A lot of the cases that we see, it's actually um, more about a failure to understand referencing requirements and that that student might need additional support in that area. Mm. So um, being referred through this process, even though it's intimidating, can actually be 
educational for yeah. that student as well. And that's the intention of the whole process, is that it is educational. So that students who may have been picked up for having um, some problematic referencing errors or something mm. that's not quite right within their work, that they get the opportunity to correct it and learn from it so that it doesn't continue throughout their candidature. Mm. It's important to nip these kinds of things in the bud. And that's actually sort of where the peer learning advisors come into the mix sometimes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we work with academic integrity to help students with their referencing. And I myself, well, when I made my transition from secondary to tertiary education, things change quite a lot in terms of your referencing. And first year out can be pretty tough. So I just want to say that if you do find yourself in this situation, the PLAs are 100% there to help. There's resources from academic integrity to look at for how to um, go about for where to learn how to cite things correctly according to the different styles. But if before this process happens, you want to brush up on skills, there are resources available, aren't there, Lucy? Well, yes, and I should have actually said um, earlier that we, we run a module. It's an academic honesty education module. Mm-hmm. It's called the AHEM. And all commencing students at the university undertake the module. It only takes 20 to 30 minutes um, and they do it on Canvas. But that is really important because it outlines um, what academic honesty is. It provides scenarios and and quizzes and information for students so that, you know, when they're starting and they may have come from... um, from a different institution or overseas where the systems are very different. Um, And so it's really important. So we have those um, processes in place to assist students early on. Yeah, because even within the university in different faculties, even different schools sometimes, maybe different courses or subjects that you're doing within that school, they use different citation methods. And I find with the students that I talk to every now and again, um, they've used one style, but they were supposed to use another style. Yeah. And that's, when you're first starting out, that's an absolute, that can oh, be, messes your head up. Yeah, <laughs> that can be tricky. Um, there is no uh, one, you know, preferred method across the university. Mm. So it's always important to check um, with your teaching staff. So um, usually it would be, information that would be contained in your unit of study outline or course information if that coordinator wants to use a specific referencing style it would be outlined for you Mm. um and that should be clear yeah but yeah unfortunately there is no uniform style across the university yeah so it's up to the students for their different subjects to work out what style they're supposed to be using and then there are plenty of resources available, even just on the library website, on how to follow those styles. Absolutely. All right, so as a PLA, I'm involved in the academic integrity consultations. I'm not 100% sure about how students end up coming to talking to me. Mm -hmm. Could you elaborate on that? Absolutely. So if a student um, is referred to the process, um, as Lucy mentioned, often it, it can be to do with a failure to understand referencing requirements. And you know, our teaching staff and our EICs are very experienced in this area. They can identify when somebody's just made a few referencing errors and when somebody's, you know, blatantly stolen something from somebody else's work. 
in those situations, we want this to be an educational process. We want the students to learn from it. So the students, one of the possible outcomes or one of the, the possible pathways that this can follow is what we refer to as a development pathway. Um, the students are encouraged to complete a development workshop, which is online. Uh, the faculty staff would direct them to that and give them the links on where to find it. Then they're encouraged to revise and resubmit their work. So they take a look at the problematic text and look at what the EIC has, has pointed out is problematic, correct that, and then they're encouraged to go and make an appointment with a PLA. So the PLA is not there to do the work for you. You must do the work mm. yourself, correct it, but then any questions that you have or anything that you're still unsure about, make an appointment with a PLA and go through the work and, yep. and get that reassurance that what you've done, your corrections are you know, that you went in the right, right direction, or if it's still problematic, the PLA will be able to call that out and assist you with working on that. Mm. It's all about learning from the process and the beauty of an appointment with a PLA. They're peer learning advisors. So it's, it's quite relaxed. It's mm. not intimidating. They're there to assist you. Uh, outside. And we've done it all before. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have a big, scary academic, uh, you know, looking at what you've done or what you haven't done but it, it should be relaxed and it is there for the benefit of the student to learn from this entire process yeah totally because we're a bit closer to having struggled with the citation styles and things like that whereas the academics it's old hat so exactly. it's harder for them to sort of empathize with the situation maybe Indeed. okay so if you think you're not as a cross referencing or citations or whatever you want to call it as as you should be or you could be and you don't want to get called out and come and meet one of the PLAs even though we're lovely and helpful surely there's resources that people can go to there are heaps of resources out there so as Lucy's already mentioned the AHEM mm -hmm. so that's a good start uh, to you know making sure that you're doing everything right when it comes to referencing and citations there are also the library guides which you have mentioned before and mm. I'm sure you can provide all the links to all of this information. Yes, definitely. There are also a number of workshops that are offered by the Learning Centre, really, really valuable workshops. Um, they have a timetable that they release every six weeks, I think, mm -hmm. um, where you can book yourself onto a workshop that is specifically targeted to, to referencing, um, summarising and paraphrasing and things like that that often trip students up. Yeah, and they usually get you to bring in a piece of work. So it's a very involved a kind of yeah. workshop. So, so far we've talked a lot about, about more traditional sort of essay-related issues with ensuring that you give credit to resources so that people can analyse your work and agree or disagree with your position that you put forward. Uni's changed a little bit this year. We're not as in-person as we used to be. A lot of courses are being taught online. How is the role of academic integrity adapting to this? Do you have more things that you have to think about this year? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, with COVID and the move to online learning, it's been huge for everyone. Mm. And, um, and certainly we've had to sort of concentrate our energy um, into that online space. Um, you know, obviously students are doing their exams um, with um, ProctorU and so obviously that changes a lot of things um, both for the student experience and for I guess what on an integrity level um, what things we're, we're seeing um, in that space. 
So there has been a change to the way things have been delivered with our um, exams being delivered online via a different platform. We don't have our, as many of our traditional face-to-face -face exam settings, um, more take-home exams, um, and just generally students not seeing each other face-to-face -face or being on campus together. Um, one of the things that we've noticed that has come out of this is um, students taking the initiative to sort of set up groups and study groups mm. and meet each other. In, which is in, excellent. Which is excellent. We want people <laughs> to make connections. Of course we do. One of the things that have emerged out of that, though, is that we have noticed a bit of a shift to some more collusion between mm -hmm. students doing their work. So um, an example would be, you know, sharing the answers to exams on various platforms, mm. online platforms, which obviously is not academically honest. <laughs> it's no. not the behavior that we want to see from the students, but it is something that has we have noticed. Mm. Um, I could, I can, as a student, I could understand how that could happen sort of innocently if you have your study group and it's based on Facebook and you're having a chat leading up to the exam the day before, the night before, maybe even the morning of, and then you're doing whatever weekly quiz is happening and then someone asks a question during the quiz time yeah. and I can imagine that would lead you or, and put you in some very hot water. It can put people in hot water um, and it that's, I guess what we want, in raising the issue, what we want is people to think about their peers. So if, I think what happens is perhaps somebody hasn't prepared enough for the exam or the quiz or whatever it might be, they, they panic, then they post a question into their online forum or their discussion group, but then they're putting everybody else in that group at risk. Mm -hmm. It takes one person to post the question and one person to post the answer which then... Well, I could uh, imagine if it's the right answer and everyone uses that right answer, it's pretty hard to say that you didn't look at the answer. Exactly. And then exactly. It, puts, it implicates everyone. Yeah. It does. It puts everybody at risk. I mean, I think the thing is, like, we're very um, conscious of the challenges for students, um, particularly students who have just started um, this year. Mm. I think... Um, well, yeah, it would be really yeah. difficult if you've never met your peers face-to-face -face and you've never met your tutor. Mm. Um, and so I think it's natural to then um, steer towards those, um, those groups on social media or those um, platforms. But I think, you know, we just want to remind students, even though that's great and really important to have those social connections, that, you know, even if you haven't met your tutor, if you've got any questions about your assignments... Um, about the exam, you should direct those questions to your tutor. Mm. And I think the main thing is, like, if you're comfortable to ask your tutor that, you're comfortable to tell them, um, you know, if you're in a study group or, you know, an online discussion, you're discussing a particular aspect um, to the assignment. If you're comfortable tell that to, to tell that to your tutor, then you can feel that you're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. If you're not comfortable, I think, you know, that question answers itself yeah you got to check yourself you got to check yourself yeah, so a very very good rule of thumb <laughs> <laughs> would you tell your tutor um, <laughs> what you're doing yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good that's good um and what happens have you had these specific instances come up so far like last semester or this semester and what happens to the students what like, what process happens so what we noticed was um, we get a lot of reports about this kind of thing. Often it can be a concerned member of the group mm. uh, who, you know, wants to 
remove themselves yeah. from, from any blame well, giving. Well, if you're helping your classmates prepare for something and then all of a sudden say, I don't know, Michael hasn't prepared all that well and he posts a question and then you're just like, oh, mate, I've been studying all week for this and now you've done this and who knows what could happen. Yeah. Like, it's really stress-inducing. Absolutely. So I guess we just want the students to be aware that this doesn't happen in a vacuum. It isn't fair on your, your peers, so don't do it. Mm. Um, <laughs> if, and your peers, you know, they can report it. All it takes is a screenshot. Um, yeah. That's, you know, enough for us to perhaps investigate something. I think, um, you know, and we recognise that the line between, um, you know, what's legitimate cooperation, mm. um, so what we call legitimate cooperation, which is, you know, working in a study group, um, discussing general themes, um, you know, related to unit of study, um, it, there's there's a sort of a murky line where that crosses over then to collusion. So yeah. we recognise that that's not always that clear for students and, you know, we're hoping to, to highlight that distinction mm. um, in some more student awareness campaigns this semester mm-hmm. just to help students just to understand that um, the difference between, you know, it's actually fine to discuss so general topics and themes and things like that. But once you get into... Um, discussing the specifics of an assignment or solving a problem question together or splitting up an mm. individual assignment amongst a group and then, you know, all contributing your bit. That's where you're crossing that line. Mm. And, you know, we understand, again, that it's not always intentional. But, yeah, it's really important, particularly in this um, environment, this online environment, to be aware that, yeah, that, that you need to do your own work, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I guess that comes back to the rule of thumb that we had before, would you be happy telling your tutor what you've been doing? Exactly. Yeah. On that, Lucy, if those collusion relationships become a little bit more formal and potentially financial, we're sort of entering into contract cheating territory. This was a bit of a problem before COVID, oh, COVID um, with businesses and groups advertising within the university. I know I've seen some posters in some of the study areas. How has this been affected by the transition to online learning? Yeah, I mean, look, contract cheating, it's its a significant issue that I think all universities are facing and definitely it poses a threat to, the, you know, the integrity of the university. Mm. But we've, you know, put in a lot of things in place over the last few years to, to, tackle, to tackle this. Um, and, you know, a huge part of that is education, mm. both for staff and students. But, yeah, look, with the online, with the shift to online learning... It's very concerning, obviously, because on the online platform is really where students are targeted mm. by these companies. Like and where? Um, where would you see this stuff? So often um, social media sites. In like um, so say feed. you've got a Facebook, um, you know, you've got a Facebook unit of study group that's mm. been formed for that particular semester. Um, we see these advertisements posted in these sites. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are often reported to us. Like we're not sifting around trying to, yeah, to yeah, fi- yeah. find yeah. it. You know, we do investigation work, but most yeah. of the time people are reporting them to us because they're concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, they might follow a link and then they have to sign up and may or may not be required to, to pay money. So it doesn't, you know, the thing with contract cheating that I think is important to understand is it doesn't actually have to involve payment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on its most basic level, contract cheating is engaging a third party to complete or contribute to your work, which mm. you then submit as your own. So, And that can also involve 
some having somebody sit your exam. It doesn't mean that's it's not, amazing. It's Does not that just. Happen? I am aware of some instances. It seems like an unimaginable thing, but yeah. I, I think often it's it's more about that there might be suspicions around that, mm. and then it, it, you know that student would be invited to attend a meeting and would mm. need to um, prove instructed yeah, yeah. Um, would need to prove their identity or prove that they that they sat that. I mean, obviously mm. with an online, again, with the online setting, that changes because in a traditional exam setting, you're showing the proctor mm. your ID card. They're looking at your photo. Mm. Um, with with ProctorU, obviously there's proctors on the other end, mm. um, but it's not as easy, I guess, to identify the students. Just on the, the, the contract cheating thing, mm. I just want to raise that the research shows that it, it is only a minor um, handful. Uh, you know, the number of cases that involve contract cheating are not large, mm. but the conduct is so serious that it re- you know, it needs to be taken very seriously. Yep. It does, in terms of the process and, and subsequent penalties, it's considered one of the, the, the most serious ends of the scale to do yep. with uh, integrity. Well, you're, by doing it, you're almost you're attacking the integrity of the university. Absolutely. And so it's, it's taken very seriously. But what I would like to point out is the research also shows the reasons why students um, t- turn towards these uh, companies who will, you know, write an answer for you. Mm. It's often due, due to time pressures and the stress associated with trying to submit an assignment on time. Mm. So what we really would like to encourage students to do is plan their semester well, um, you know, be looking at your upcoming assessments and when they're due and planning adequately, giving yourself sufficient time to get those assignments written. Mm. Um, there are a and number... Yeah, well, that's easy, easily said. Easily said. <laughs> um, I was just going to say mm. that there are a number of resources. Um, I know that CAPS, the Counselling and Psychological Service, uh, offer a number of resources on how to manage, um, like procrastination and, and things like that, mm. managing your semester. It can be a simple thing like creating your, uh, a timetable for a weekly or a monthly timetable and really plotting out those those key dates of when mm. your submissions are due. And I think we, the PLAs, have a couple of little events usually at the beginning of semester and we have on the procrastination thing, we have like a Pomodoro technique, which is switch off your... We all sit in a room and we do it, so there's peer pressure to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you sit, you sit down, you turn off all your mobile devices for 25 minutes, you study, you do all your stuff... And the reward at the end of that is five minutes to do whatever you'd like. You have your, you go to the bathroom or whatever, but you also you check your phone and you have a cup of tea or something like that. And I find that really helps for procrastination stuff because it's so easy to just let yourself check your phone every, every time Absolutely. you think it vibrates or whatever. Yeah. But if you have it turned in flight mode or silent yes. or something... Things Switch can, off those notifications. Yeah, things yeah. can wait 15 minutes. Um, exactly, Tom. Yeah, there are ample um, support services available at the uni for students, and um, I think it's just important for students, like Colette said, like, to be aware about um, those services. You know, be it CAPS or the Learning Centre. Um, also, you know, if if you do need an extension on your piece of work, talk to your tutor. Um, mm. If you have um, special circumstances, you can apply for special consideration. There are lots of options which I think particularly in this climate for students who may be feeling um, 
isolated who, yeah, might be on their phones more regularly because they're not sitting in a traditional tutorial Mm. setting, you know, might be tempted to take the easy way out. And these contract cheating companies are aggressive. And, you know, and they do, they, they take advantage of students. They do target particular cohorts of students who might not be um, necessarily aware um, of the rules and who might be... Um, more vulnerable more, students. More vulnerable. Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, on that, there's actually just been some, um, some legislation recently passed. Okay. Um, Tell us more. <laughs> which is actually great. Um, it's unless you're a contract cheating company. Unless exactly, <laughs> watch so, out. So not great business opportunities there in the future. Okay. No, no, and the, I mean the legislation itself is really targeting those um, commercial contract cheating companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so the legislation um, is sort of known as the Prohibiting Academic Cheating Services Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, it amends the TEXA Tertiary. Education Quality and Standards Agency Act. So essentially what it does is it makes it an offence to um, provide, arrange or advertise academic cheating services. Mm -hmm. So this is a great development in this space. I think, you know, how it's actually going to work in practice, we don't know. It's given additional powers to TEXA, that Mm. agency, to... um, seek injunctions and to pursue prosecutions against these companies. So it's not really designed to catch out students, Mm. um, but I think as a deterrent, I'm hoping it's going to deter both the parties and students from being tempted to cut corners. It sounds like you just don't want to get involved in that. Exactly, (laughs) watch out. So it's just a bit, it's, you know, it's taken it to that um, more serious level. It's, you know, it's the law now. So we're hoping that we can see some sort of impact mm. um, with that moving forward. Yeah. It's surprising it wasn't a law in the past. But, you know, good things take time, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, look, let's um, maybe wrap up there. Of course, Tom. It's supposed to be an educational process and we absolutely understand that people come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different learning environments. Um, So, you know, um, while it might be intimidating and scary and that's, you know, more complicated by learning in an online environment, Mm. you know, we think it's just important to remind students that it's actually the smaller number of cases um, that have the more serious outcomes. It's supposed to be you know, educative and not punitive. So um, we're here to help the support services available. Um, And just remember, collaborate, not collude. That's it for this episode. Thanks for stopping by. I'd like to thank the Peerpod team once again for bringing it all together. If today's episode has sparked anything for you, we'd love to hear about it. Drop us a line at peerpod.pla at sydney.edu.au. Catch you next time.